Welcome to another edition of Mormonland. I'm Dave Noyce. I'm a managing editor here at the Tribune, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined by our senior religion reporter, Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hello, Peggy. Hi, Dave. Well, you've probably read or maybe even heard stories about how a woman secretly recorded an interview with her former president, the Missionary Training Center, about alleged sexual misconduct he committed against her while he was her spiritual leader. Or maybe you read that Mormon general authorities are paid more than $120,000 a year in salary or a, quote, living allowance, end quote, for their church work. Perhaps you wonder about the LDS Church's wealth. You swear you've heard that it has at least $32 billion in stock holdings. Well, if you know that information, it's probably because of a website called Mormon Leaks, which posts documents, recordings, videos provided from church leaders, employees, sources, whistleblowers, or, well, moles from within the LDS Church. It's sort of a WikiLeaks for Latter-day Saints, hence the name Mormon Leaks. Today, our guests are the forces behind that website, Executive Director Ryan McKnight and Technical Director Ethan Dodge. Welcome to both of you. How you doing? Thanks for having us. Glad to have you here. Well, let's start with the foundational question. How did Mormon Leaks get started and what's its goal? <laughs> well, I'll try to condense the starting right. of it down <laughs> into the shortest uh, We'd appreciate couple that. lines, because <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff you want to ask. But um, uh, the, the short version is I played a small role in, in the leak of the infamous November policy from 2000, November 2015, which um, had to do with uh, the children of same-sex couples not being able to be baptized and a few other new policies that the church tried to quietly introduce. Um, I, I didn't really get a lot of media coverage off of my involvement there, but people who were sort of following it behind the scenes knew that I was involved. And it was I was involved on accident, really. I don't want to get into the story because it's kind of too long, but I literally just accidentally became involved in it. And uh, some people st- who knew I was involved, you know, I'd, 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 like once a month or so I'd get messages from people claiming, you know, hey, maybe we should release this or, you know, whatever. A lot of times it was nonsense. Every, there was maybe one or two things that I would post on Reddit in the ex-Mormon forum, and nothing that was newsworthy or anything like that. And then in October of 2016, somebody contacted me and said, you know, hey, I've got these 15 videos. I've been sitting on them for years, and I've always been looking for a way to get them out there without my name attached to them. Maybe you could put them on YouTube for me. And I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And um, little did I know they were going to go viral to the point that, you know, the New York Times covered the story. And um, thanks a lot for that, by the way. Three of us yeah. had to come in and write stories that day yeah. because of those <laughs> videos. So. Yeah, and I think that was the first time I ever interacted with the Tribune and any other really media outlet. Although with the November policy, I, I did get interviewed by one media outlet in Las Vegas, but that was the extent of my, my connections to the media. And... Um, yeah, so this time, unlike with the November policy, my name was now attached to the to the leak. And, you know, obviously with it not just being in the Tribune, but the New York Times, it got a lot of coverage. And so I started getting just bombarded. And there were, uh, you know, a few particular people that contacted me that, you know, I, I, it made me realize that, you know, maybe there needs to be a website, basically. I'm giving you a condensed version of So this all happened before Mormon Leaks was even around. Yeah, I mean, I called mm-hmm. the, the YouTube channel Mormon Leaks, but it was just like on a whim. I was just like, oh, what should I call this YouTube channel? Mormon Leaks. And I <laughs> uploaded these 15 videos. I hadn't even watched all of them. I watched all like the five minute ones. And I mean, I thought they were, you know, m- mildly amusing. I hadn't watched the one with um, Gordon Smith, which is one that, that caught the attention of the New York Times. 
That was like an hour long. I had former to watch Former senator that. from Oregon? Or former senator mm-hmm. from Oregon where he kind of talks about, he, he essentially talks about how much the church was influencing his political decisions. Right. Okay. And um, so, I mean, I, I put him on there. I, I, I figured like the ex-Mormon community out there online would be interested, especially with like the one where they're, you know, debating the sexuality of Julian Assange and things like this. So <laughs> those were obviously amusing to me at the time. But I, I had no idea they were going to go viral. And in fact, that Sunday morning after I posted them, my wife and I went to uh, brunch at a friend's house, and I turned my phone off because, uh, you know, I wanted to be engaged in the conversation. And my phone was off for four or five hours. And little did I know there was a storm brewing online over these videos. And I, when I turned my phone back on, I had over a thousand notifications across all of my the platforms that I'm on: Reddit, Facebook, email. You know, and it was I, I was I was like, what was in those videos? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I this should watch them all. Yeah, wow. this can't be just about the sexuality of Julian Assange. This has to be something else. So that's and and you know, so when I decided that I needed to do a website, I put feelers out there, and he actually, I think, didn't contact me from the feelers I put out there. I think I, Ethan. Con- I never he, saw any of those feelers. Yeah, he yeah, actually I just, just independently. I just contacted, he could yeah. tell me about that. He could, he could talk to you guys about that. Huh. About him contacting me when I was trying to build this website. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just, um, I, I, he did an interview on the Mormon Transitions podcast, and he talked about how he um, got, the, got the videos and released them, and, and I'm a cyber security engineer by trade, and he, the digital fingerprints were left all over the place from the source getting him the, the videos, right? And I said, hey, let me help you protect your sources, right? And, uh, and he said, okay. Which I, was yeah. kind of, I, I didn't say okay at first, though. No, he did not. <laughs> he did not. At first, I didn't want to work with him. Because <laughs> I wanted to stay anonymous. Yeah, he didn't and, want to tell me who he was. And I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah I had no idea who he was. <laughs> you know, I was a cybersecurity guy. Well, <laughs> and it wasn't just that, but it was like, you know, I was already talking to some other people that, I mean, looking back, I don't think they would have been as good as him. But at the time, I, I, I saw them as people that probably, you know, I could have hitched my wagon to. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I am glad that we were able to work it out because, you know, with the exception of maybe one person that I considered working with, I don't think anybody else that I was talking to at the time um, would have been able to do what Ethan did. So. So then you decided to. S- well, well, we didn't know. I mean, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just knew a website, right? But you know, I didn't understand how to protect sources privacy. I'm not a computer guy. Ethan will tell you that. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm good at a lot of things, but computers is not one of them. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the, we have a, is it even called a program? I mean, what is secure drop? Is that a, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, a program, program the yeah. program that we use to protect their identity, which is called secure drop, which a lot of major news outlets use. Um, I didn't even know anything like that even existed. Okay. And I think it was, I mean, I think Ethan knew it existed, but I don't think he had ever really worked with it before. And so, I mean, there was definitely, um, aside from the huge learning curve for me, I mean, there was even a learning curve for him, but I think that as an observer of watching him do it, along with a couple people that were helping us, I think that, um, I think it was pretty clear that he was the right man for the job. Mm -hmm. So he did a great job setting that up. December December 19th, 19th, 20, uh, 2016, right? 2016, yeah. yeah. And it almost didn't happen that day. I mean, we had all kinds oh, of technical... God. That was like one we, of the most stressful mornings of my life. Did we even go to bed that night? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, the, I got like two hours of sleep that yeah, night. Yeah. The 18th going to the 19th, because we wanted to have the website launched at like six o'clock in the morning. So people would like wake up. Now, we didn't have anything to leak, okay? But we just wanted people <laughs> to... Everybody knew it was coming. 
right? And so well, they knew everybody on the X Mormon stuff. Well, sure, but they also yeah, knew okay. a website was about to launch. I see. So we wanted people to wake up that morning and be able to like go to the website, even though there was really not going to be anything there. And we almost, I mean, I know we delayed it for several hours. We didn't get it up by 6 a.m., but we almost it, had we to were delay up, it by We were up by noon Pacific time. Noon. Yeah. yeah. So that was a fun experience, I suppose. Maybe, you know, we'll yeah. have to tell that someday. But it was, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely had a lot of, like, technical difficulties. Not a lot, but we had technical difficulties early, early on. But I think, you know, Ethan, as the technical director, has done an amazing job to minimize those and, and make sure that any effect that they've had on the functionality of our website have, have been almost nothing. Yeah. So in a nutshell, what's the goal of Mormon Leaks? Ethan? Uh, to provide um, some transparency into an organization that desperately needs it, right? To, to, be, to give the public the opportunity to hold them accountable. Um, that's the way I see it. I, if you read our mission statement, it talks about that we believe that greater transparency results in um, less corruption and fewer untruths, I believe, is the wording that we use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything else, Ryan, you want to add to that? No, I mean, yeah, just, you know, transparency. We, we have, like, three sort of main pillars, if you will, that we focus on when it comes to transparency. Not that those would be the only things that there needs to be improved transparency, but we're looking at financial transparency, um, corporate, what we, what we would refer to as corporate policies and procedures, Okay, maybe a you know a believing Mormon might just say you know instruction manuals. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> November um, policy is a perfect example of that. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah November policy because mm -hmm. that was something that was quietly slipped into the one of the um, instruction manuals that is not available to the general membership. And so, right. and then the third pillar is sex abuse, and you know. Um, Mostly or statistics on sex abuse. I mean, we're not trying to, like, um, you know, name all the sexual abusers in each ward. I mean, that's not what we're trying to do, right? But we want people to be aware or at least more aware than they already are of, of what is the current rate of sex abuse in the area that I live in because that mm -hmm. kind of knowledge gives them power to make sure that, that, that their leaders are, you know, you, obviously you can never prevent every instance of sexual abuse in any environment. But if the people can make sure that if the, the more knowledge that the people have, the more likely it is that the leadership are going to do things to try and minimize it or mitigate it as much as they can. So let's back up for a second and just each of you tell us a, just a little tiny bit about <laughs> your relationship with Mormonism. You want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I left the church in March. Uh, well, I decided I was done with the church in March of 2016 after a few years of questioning my faith. My, um, my mother had left a couple of years before that. That was really hard for me. Um, and yeah, by March 2016, I decided to, to leave. And in November of 2016, just before launching, I actually submitted my official resignation. Um, however, I still have many friends and family that are active. Um, uh, in, Where were you raised? I was raised in Utah Valley, um, in in uh, in Provo, actually. Lifetime, uh, lifetime member. Yep, um, not quite born in the covenant, but mm -hmm. <laughs> my mom's uh, ceiling from her previous husband was still being reversed. However, you <laughs> want to say that, right? So, but anyway, but yeah, re born and raised member. I served a LDS mission in Guatemala, um, and uh, married in the temple six months later. <laughs> Right. Um, 
as uh, as some people will say, I lived the Mormon dream, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what about you? Well, I was born in the church. Um, you know, my dad's side of the family you know, members go all the way back to the Brigham Young era. And my mom, my mom's a convert, so she's the first member on her side. Um, I never lived in Utah, though, and I don't really have much ties here. I do have extended family that lives in Utah, but I don't really have any close family, although my brother recently moved here. But uh, I... I um, grew up a typical Mormon life, I suppose, of somebody that doesn't live in Utah. I grew up uh, all over the United States and also spent most of my formative years in South and Central America. Um, but my family was always active, and I served a mission in Barcelona, Spain, and uh, met my wife there. She was, She's from Spain, and she also was serving in my mission. Um, and then... Uh, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those. I remember... Well, it's funny. This is a true story. Uh, there were several couples that came out of my mission somehow. And, you know, while I was on my mission, we would get word that, you know, so-and-so got married to so-and-so. And, -so. and it, there was always this, you know, question <laughs> mark, right? And, you know, I, totally unfair to make that judgment, but we're all human. And right. I remember I used to joke that I would um, never marry anybody that was older than me, taller than me, or that I had met on my mission. And I did all three. All three of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, Funny how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I went about, you know, my 20s and early 30s as just a typical Mormon in Las Vegas, um, which is where my family is from. Um, and I was born there, and we spent most of the, a lot of summers there when I was a kid. And uh, when I was 32 was the first time that I ever really, um, not only is it the first time that I questioned my testimony in the church, believe it or not, it was the first time I ever knew there was even a reason to question it. Um, I had some pretty thick blinders on when it came to any... I, I was one of those Mormons that um, I, I was completely unaware of anything negative that it could be substantiated that would cause a person to, to doubt their testimony. So, as you can imagine, when that um, wall comes crumbling down, the paradigm shift that a person goes through, it was, it was quite, um, quite traumatic in many ways. You know. So what do your family members think that, that maybe some family members or maybe extended family that are still actively involved in the LDS church, what do they think about what you're doing? Um, it's a, it's, so I actually remained anonymous for the first year of me doing Mormon Leaks, um, and that's because someone close to me uh, still currently works for the church. Um, and uh, but it, So when I came out and and revealed my identity. It was kind of a big deal. It was very therapeutic for me. Um, and, um, it was a big deal to me is what I, what, what I meant. And anyway, um, a lot of, a lot of people that I knew from high school or from my mission reached out to me because they had also left the church or something like that. But none, none of my believing friends or family are, have, they're yet to reach out to me, um, which I think is very interesting. However, I've heard different stories as I'm talking to other people about it, right? But uh, none of my believing friends or family have talked to me about it. Right. Right. Um, well, I left the church in 2013. Uh, my wife left the church about uh, 10 months or so after me. I have several of my siblings that have left the church, some of them actually before I did. Um, but uh, my parents are still active, and I, I have some siblings that I, I believe are still active. Um, but uh, I don't know, I guess it's maybe one of those things that doesn't get talked about as much as it should, you know? I, uh, you know, but like Ethan, um, 
well, in Ethan's case, he's kind of talking about how people didn't reach out to him after finding out his involvement in Mormon leaks, um, and he may be also referring to when he left the church, you know, but for me, um, even, even leaving the church, people just didn't reach out to us. Um, they, uh, they're, you know, abandoned my wife and I, people, my wife's friends all stopped calling her. Mm. Um, and this is before Mormon leaks. I mean, this is, you know, mm. I wasn't even, mm-hmm. you know, no, there were no, you know, anti-Mormon Facebook posts or anything right. like that. Just we stopped going to church and people stopped calling. So, I mean, that's definitely happened. I, I actually um, got a text uh, message this morning out of the blue. I was a young men's president, or not president, but I was a first counselor in young men's presidency when I left the church. And I got a text message today. This was five years ago. So this young man is now an adult. And uh, I believe he's about 20 now, I believe, 20 or 21. And he texted me this morning out of the blue. This is the first contact I've had with him since I left the church. And he started off by telling me that the young men's president, uh, who I was working under, uh, as soon as we left the church, went to church and told all the young men to block me on Facebook, but would not say why. It did not elaborate. He said he was very vague about mm. why. But anyway, he found Mormon leaks, and he saw my name connected to it, and he actually reached out to me. Not, And he specifically said, you know, I, I still believe, you know, I still have a testimony or whatever. He, but he's intrigued by the tr- idea of transparency, which I think a lot of, especially young people are, I mean, mm-hmm. and older people mm-hmm. as well. But, uh, I mean, it's amazing how many young, believing Mormons um, are huge supporters of ours and still maintaining their belief and testimony. That leads, that leads to my next question, because I think a lot of people read or might see what you, what you release or what you publish and go, how did they get that? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, how do you get that? And how do you then vet it for yeah. accuracy, that it's not just a complete fabrication of a document or something like that? Okay, well, <laughs> I'll take this question because this is kind of what I do with Mormon Leaks. More, I mean, Ethan does this a little bit, but this is mm-hmm. mostly what I handle. Um, is it, can, can I say just one thing yeah, before? Yeah, I, I, in terms of how do we get it, the beauty of my job is that we we don't. My job is to protect our sources and that we don't know who they are unless they deliberately tell us who they are, right? And so a lot of times we don't know how they got it, right? Um, it, sometimes sometimes they tell us, but we, I mean, we're not gonna tell anyone else because it's just basic jur- journalism, right? But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so yeah, that's the beauty of my job and, 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 and what I really like, but as far, he can talk a little bit more about vetting. Yeah, I mean, f- people come to us, first of all. We don't seek out leaks, you know, and we don't solicit leaks. Unless so, you count the submit button as a solicitation. Yeah, I mean, yes. the submit button. <laughs> Your that's website, the, yes. Yeah, that's the extent open, of... It's an open well, invitation. That's but, the yeah. extent of our solicitation, and maybe there's some nuance, uh, semantic argument that can be had there. But uh, we, don't, we don't solicit leaks. And so people come to us through various different means because not everybody uses the website, although we want people to use the website. Um, but, you know, sometimes people reach out in other ways. Uh, a lot of times I don't know who they are. Sometimes I do find out who they are. I mean, some of our biggest leaks that have made the most attention, I don't know the identity of the person. For for example, the 15 videos. I have no idea who that person is. I don't even know their gender. Hmm. Okay, and not only that, they deactivated the, the uh, email address that they sent it to me from, so I actually have no way of contacting them. So... Um, well, one question I have about that, and you, and you, Ethan, said that, oh, this is basic journalism. That really isn't basic journalism. Sure. Basic journalism, mm-hmm. we know who our sources sure. are, and we know 
if they're credible or not. We know where they got, mostly where they got things. Sure. So now you're telling us that you get information from people you you have no way to assess their credibility. That's true. And in those cases, we are going to have to have a, we have a higher threshold of verifying the documents through an independent party in those particular cases. But how is that? Well, we're not going to talk about how we do that, but we have sources everywhere. Our tentacles are everywhere. Um, and one of the things that, I mean, if I'm going to pat myself on the back on something, I, I am really good at fostering relationships of trust. And I've got sources all over the place. And so I have the ability to, I don't want to get into any more detail than that. Um, can we sit, sit here and say, like, if we release something, I, I suppose there are a couple that I could say I'm 100% sure of its legitimacy. But I, I don't think that we would ever say 100% sure on every single one, but it is as close to 100% as you're going to get on the things that we release. And <clears throat> when we have, we have had some situations, we're actually dealing with one right now, where I don't know who the source is and they don't want to tell me who they are. I sort of know how they got the documents, but at the same time, they're still being vague. I have not been able to independently verify them yet, and so we haven't released these documents yet. So it, you, you may not know who the leaker source is, uh -huh. but then it's a process of actually trying to verify that the information, even though you don't know where it's coming from maybe, mm -hmm. is accurate or, or, or as near as you can tell is legitimate or something like that, uh, right? I, I, almost every one of our big leaks I have independently verified from somebody other than the source, almost every single one. And in the ones that I haven't, there's been other you know, forms of verification that have led me to believe that it would be highly unlikely that it, it, it was... Uh, faked. Um, so th none of this is to say that, that we can't be duped at some point. I mean, th we're very cognizant of this possibility, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, which is why we're very careful, I think, or we try to be very careful with what we release. So uh, we, we hope that that never happens. And if it does, I mean, I don't even want to think about how I would deal with it. But um, <clears throat> one of the things that we accept that comes with what I'm telling you here and being so vague is the fact that there will be people that will listen to this and they're going to say, I think you're a liar and I think that there's no reason to believe you or whatever it is what it is if that's the conclusion they've come to then I mean I, you know I can't I'm not gonna cry over that um, and we just do what we do and we let our work speak for itself and um, you know I don't know if you want to add anything to that but I mean that's essentially the, as far as the verification process goes that's really all that we can say yeah I just and if, if you want an example of of something that maybe we weren't able to verify and haven't uh, released the, the Sol uh, Salt Lake City Weekly did their cover story this month on us in which they go into uh, tell about a particular leak that we were t attempting to verify but we were not able to and so we are yet to publish it because mm -hmm. we haven't been yeah. able and to. And that's the one that I was referring to earlier. You know, we may still be able to verify it. I mean, there still are some loose ends that I haven't tied up yet. Mm -hmm. So that's not a lost cause. But <clears throat> it's a very, that leak is, I don't know, I don't think it's a New York Times story, but it's a Tribune story at least. It's a big story. <laughs> it's a big story, which so, is one of the reasons why we are s not publishing it without some serious verification. So far, the LDS Church has not said that any of your leaks are fake. Well, directly. Correct. Yeah, and oh, I would, oh yeah. are fake. Excuse are fake. me, I, I misheard yeah. that. In other words, That's, they that won't confirm that they are true. I feel like they confirmed. They've, but they haven't ever yeah. said this one didn't mm -hmm. happen or this is a false document or this is no and it, and in my opinion that would be a stupid move because it, as soon as they come out and say this one's false then are they they're 
they're, they're indirectly saying everything you've released up until now have, but, uh, have yeah, but, yeah, but even to add to that I, I would argue that they have verified at least one of our documents oh yeah and well, that would be the, the bubble chart, bubble chart yeah. as it's referred to online oh yeah, yeah or enemies right. list sometimes mm-hmm. that's what the Washington because, Post called it <laughs> is that what they called yeah a lot of ex-Mormons called the enemies list I don't know that I would I mean I that think that was that's the a one where it had like little circles the bubbles of, yeah the yeah. bubbles yeah uh, naming I don't and remember what some of the John DeLynn yeah John DeLynn and Denver Snuffer pornography yeah pornography right so the the I think the most we've said this before this isn't uh, you know a new thought but I think one of the most interesting things about that scenario because the church for those that don't know the church uh, threatened to sue us if we didn't remove that content from our website and we basically wrote a you know interestingly worded letter from our attorney to tell them to go pound sand. Was that the copyright um, infringement? Is that yeah? The that's what they, they were yeah, playing. So they, so they issued a DMCA takedown, yeah. and and at the time we were hosting our documents with Doctroid because it, that was a kind of we always knew that Doctroid wasn't going to be a permanent solution, and that kind of forced us to to, to open up a, to we started spun up a server in Switzerland that it do, doesn't yeah. respond to DMCA. Requests. So what's the status of that dispute? They they sort of threatened. Well, it's the balls in their did, court. Right? Well, the balls yeah. in their court. Yeah, we haven't heard okay. back. Yeah, and so but the interesting thing about that, that scenario year, yeah. is. At that time, and maybe even still to this day, of all of the leaks that we have leaked, that would be the easiest one to have faked. For sure. It was just a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. I could have created that. Yeah. It wasn't on letterhead. It didn't have any kind of like unique LDS markers that like from a visual standpoint, you'd say it looks like it's real. Like it would have been the easiest thing to fake. Except for the fact that the design was terrible, but. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not so good at, he knows I'm not very good at PowerPoint. So that's probably the PowerPoint presentation I would have created. So it's, it's a, there's a little bit of irony there that that's the one they chose to come after us for. Did they also um, threaten a lawsuit with the McConkie material? That, w- that was the McConkie family. family. The heir, they, that was, okay. yeah, they refer to themselves, I believe, the as of Bruce the McConkie. heirs of Bruce R. McConkie, whoever those people are. Um, so, and again, we basically sent an identical letter to them that we sent to the church. We were much nicer, though. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit. Nicer. But, though. I mean, the, the thing is this. I mean, I, I don't necessarily blame them for it, I guess. I mean... I, I kind of put more of the blame on the attorneys because the attorneys should know better that this is not copyright infringement. But, um, you know, I can understand why the family was upset about that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't know. Crime is not the right word, but it's some sort of a crime to have hidden those. Those Doc McConkie papers are fascinating. There's nothing, and there's nothing incriminating. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. that's like tells you the, the church isn't true. Mm-hmm. But it gives this. I don't know if you guys have the, read at any of them, but you get an ins, uh, an additional insight into Bruce R. McConkie's thinking that I think was yeah. not out there. And I have had this was his, the apostle who famously wrote Mormon doctrine. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, got in who argued heat for it. Yeah, and, who right. arguably had the biggest influence on modern day Mormonism. Yeah, I would right. argue that he's his. Te- I think his reach is still being felt today. Oh, for sure. Um, he, and. Sorry, one of the documents that's probably the most fascinating is his firsthand account of being in the Salt Lake Temple when the priesthood ban in 1978 was lifted. And, right? and it's fascinating. I had a, a historian, a college professor who's written books on this stuff, tell me that he's heard of this document existing and has never been able to see it, that the family has always said no. Hmm. So, and, and, and they've said this about several of the documents. Not, not every document in the McConkie papers on our wiki page is fascinating. But they're all at least interesting. And, I mean, there's one. I'll tell you another one. That, the one that he said is my favorite one. And there is literally nothing negative about the church in that document. It's amazing. But it's just it's yeah. fascinating. I was on the edge of my seat reading that document. As was I. It was like a journal entry of what he was 
going through, right? And he doesn't really talk about like his feelings about it. It was more of a mechanical like timeline. Like first we did this and then we did that, you know, and then this happened. But another document, um, most of these things were things that were intended to be published at some point and just never got published. So there was one where, I don't know if it was a book or a pamphlet that he was working on, but he was answering tough questions from members. And one of the questions was something along the lines of, you know, how did animals get on the earth? Something like that. And he said that animals were the offspring of resurrected beings, just like we are. And that, and then he said, he goes further and says, for example, the first cow was the offspring of two resurrected cows that lived on another planet. That's fascinating. fascinating. That's fascinating. And like why their family <laughs> has why their family has gone to great lengths. I mean, I understand that maybe that's embarrassing, but I mean that's hardly the most embarrassing thing Bruce R. McConkie's ever said. Or in, I or mean, in the seriously. <laughs> I find it fascinating. <laughs> Hi, I'm Benjamin Wood, host of the Salt Lake Tribune's Trib Talk podcast. Each week, we choose a topic from the news like medical marijuana, police officer PTSD, or school shootings, and we dive in with the help of other Tribune reporters and invited community guests. Join us at sltrib.com or on most major podcast platforms. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. So tell one of your, maybe your one of your biggest uh, leaks, if you will, was the McKenna Denson recording. Tell us about that. How? Hmm. How you? I mean, not the long story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about yeah, how we got, got the tape. Right. We understand that. <laughs> yeah. So we released the tape. We can start from there if you mm-hmm. want. I mean, I don't really want to get into at all about how we got that tape. Mm-hmm. So okay. maybe maybe one day that story will be told, but it's not going to be told today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I I, I will say that. Um, is it a fact, though, that you released it without her permission? No, I, I, I would not agree with that statement. And I think that if McKenna had a chance to re uh, make another statement, I don't think she would say it that way again either. I can't speak for her uh, you know, specifically, but I believe she probably would have uh, expressed her feelings on that differently if she were to ask, be asked again today. So, um, but it's not a black and white issue. You know, it's not an issue of did we have our permission or not. It's a very complicated situation that I just don't think that it's really the time or place well, to talk about yet. But. Hopefully one day, yeah. But right now with all the semantics of her case and everything, it's yeah. just it's not time. But you know, is it your biggest? Um, our biggest leak? I mean, leak. definitely got us the most Facebook post views. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're measuring in terms it's, of that. Yeah, it right? depends on how you measure that, biggest. We don't track anything on our site at all. And there's absolutely no trackers, no foreign content being served up by other um, other ho- hosting providers, right? But so Facebook analytics is really the only insight and it, that by far had the most views. Okay. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's all subjective. What's our biggest? Because everybody has their little thing. But yes, it was, it was definitely the most controversial one that we released for sure. And, um, you know, people that followed the story with the dossier and that came out later, which we had no idea even existed, by the way, until after it was given to the media. And so, and I have read the dossier, but, uh, you know, it's uh, since then. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was a stressful time because of all of the things that were swirling around. And I think the greatest part about that, there were a few things about that tape that triggered us to release it. Um, 
and uh, and I think that in the end, um, you know, it turned out to be a positive thing for everybody involved. And I think that um, look, I, I, aside from what it's done for McKenna to give her a voice, which I think has been great. You know, I don't know what the result of her, you know, court case is going to be. I'm, I have no opinion on that because I, I just I'm not a lawyer and I don't know. But the voice that she's been given is great. But I think even even more importantly, the awareness that that leak has brought into people that you know what? Yes, top leaders are capable of doing these things. And even if, let's just say that he didn't rape her, and I'm not saying he didn't. I believe McKenna, but you know, there's people that don't believe her. If we just look at what he has admitted to from a standpoint of the position of power that he held at the time, you know, it's highly inappropriate. And I think it's important for people to understand that people at that level do do those kinds of things sometimes. And you do have to be vigilant and you can't just blindly trust people at those levels. That is one of the pillars that you mentioned yeah, that yep, you're exactly. trying mm -hmm. to address. Yeah, the mm -hmm. other one you talk about is finances, of course. I like to ask a couple of churches mm -hmm. finances. Sure. Um, one was, uh, I think you released pay stubs. Yeah. Uh, that was our first. Uh, Henry, that was the first leak, Henry actually. Iring, that was our first uh, leak. Right? Uh, it was relatively old. Mm -hmm. And then you had another document uh, that showed a more, a memo that a memo showed more current kind of Correct. pay. Um, how was that received? Um, yeah. how, what do you think that taught people? Well, you know, one of the debates that that generated was whether or not First of all, some people forget that the, the memo actually said base, uh, what is it, base, base stipend, living allowance or, or base something Base living like allowance, that, yeah. you know, and, and so they do make more than that, and depending on the different responsibilities that they have. We haven't really been able to prove much more than that. We've proved a couple things. But even if we just say $120,000 a year in 2014, and then whatever it is today with, you know, cost of living adjustments, sure. even if we just take that at face value, um, I think one of the important conversations that came out of that is whether or not leaders have been honest when they refer to what they get as a modest stipend, which is usually the rhetoric that you would hear prior to that. If and you would hear any rhetoric If you would all. hear anything at all, right? It would be referred to as a modest stipend. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, I grew up in some of the places that I lived, I had the opportunity to be, you know, around several members of the first quorum of the 70, in, excuse me, in some of these countries that I lived in. And so I got to know them and mission presidents as well. And I was always under the impression that, you know, these men were generally independently wealthy and um, that the church only reimbursed them for basic living expenses. And I think that was reinforced anytime I ever heard, you know, it be referred to as a modest stipend. And so for me, for us, Mormon leaks, I mean, we're not really in this to say whether or not they deserve 120,000 or what they deserve 500,000 or whatever. But I hope that we can all at least agree on the fact that it's not a modest stipend. <laughs> I hope. Um, and the and the fact that it what yeah it was so, it's it was it was either secret or just it, or only talked about within certain circles yeah, yeah. it's just that that was the, yeah. what the problem was right and as far as I know we're the first people to actually release any hard evidence of what they make as far as I know yeah well and the and then the, at least that's more current yes mm -hmm. um, well yeah I guess back right. prior to the fifties when they right. were more open maybe that was right. yeah yeah and the and the the statement that I believe that. Eric Hawkins gave to, to the Tribune, or maybe it was just a general statement in which he stated that all general authorities make the same base pay. That was, for me, that was huge. That was the first time the church publicly recognizing whether that you're I'm an apostle or like yeah. a newly. Have, that 120 have, is the base for, from for what all, we understand, for, for 70 and above. Yeah. 70 and above. Uh -huh. Not they area get that authority, base 70, pay. Right. General right. authority, 70. And then yeah. 
based on their different duties in the private sector businesses that they have and other things. And then, you know, they have other perks that they get. I mean, some of them I know about that I, you know, I just don't have the documentation on, so we haven't put it out there. But some some of it, like, we really don't know. Like, I don't know how much they make. And to be honest with you, I don't care how much they make. If they made a million dollars a year, that's fine with me. Like, I don't care. You know, I'm not, they're not getting that money from me. And I don't, and I would even not make anymore. the argument that they deserve that. I mean, they, these guys are running a Huge. company worth hundreds of billions of dollars. So, you know, they would deserve to make millions of dollars if they were. And I'm, I'm not saying they are. So uh, to me, I don't really care about all that part of it. That's noise for me. All we really care about is the people have a right to know that. I was talking to somebody the other day about this general topic of finances and transparency. And I said, remove Mormonism from the equation for a second. Okay. If an organization if their operating budget is largely or exclusively derived from charitable donations, does that organization have an ethical responsibility to have financial transparency? I have, I've never heard a compelling argument against that until you bring in Mormonism and then or believing or religion and pe believing members of Mormonism or whatever religion you're talking about get defensive and then they start coming up with reasons why they should be exempt from that ethical question. But I think when you frame it, removing Mormonism from the question, I I've really never come across anybody that would disagree. Yeah. And, and, and we're not asking for them to publish, you know, their QuickBooks you know, right. I'm, I'm being somewhat mm -hmm. facetious when I say QuickBooks, but we're not asking them to show every line item, every journal entry in, in this corporation. But if they were to be as transparent as, let's say, a publicly traded company, like just to start there, right, then we have a place to start. Yeah, but, but it, I just want to emphasize that he's talking about ethics there. We're obviously aware that religions are not legally obligated to publish this, but mm -hmm. we believe that they, that they should be, that they are ethically obligated. Right. Well, speaking of ethics, <laughs> how do you all feel about using stolen documents or, <laughs> or documents that um, uh, the church employees sign non-disclosure agreements and, mm -hmm. and now they're violating those agreements by feeding you things? Isn't that an ethical, uh, yeah. bit of an it, ethical it is. line for you? Well, there is a line, and I don't think the line is black. I think there's a gray line, and I think there is a debate to be had. And I accept, I, I don't want to speak for Ethan, but I do think that people, uh, you know, have a right to, to, to say that what we do are unethical, is unethical. Um, look, as far as how the source gets the documents, stolen or breaking an NDA or, you know, whatever, they find them in somebody's garbage can, I, you know, I don't know. We, I don't think I've ever discuss the method with anybody that I can recall. Maybe it's happened and I'm just not thinking of it right now, but we don't really t discuss the method by which they come into contact with these documents. Now, I might be able to assume based on, you know, who they are, if I know who they are or whatever. But <clears throat> as far as... But even if you don't know who they are, sure. you know that those are private documents. Sure. Emails, so, for example. And because of that, we do have a standard of what we will release and what we won't. Mm -hmm. And it has to be something that's newsworthy. Just like if the Tribune receives quote-unquote stolen documents from some, let's just say, a corporate scandal, you would make an editorial decision to decide whether or not it's newsworthy or not. And so we make those decisions. Now, we receive things that are private that we don't release. I've talked about this before in other interviews where an example of that is we have banks. I have bank statements from two different apostles. One of them I actually have savings account statements, and another one I have a retirement account that shows withdrawals and whatnot. 
And I mean, I'm sure that people would be interested in seeing these things, but there was no connection in these accounts. It wasn't like there was deposits that you could see from the church in like large amounts, right? It, these were just personal accounts that we had no idea where the origin, origin of the money is. And so something like that is we don't release it. You know, I, we had somebody, I had somebody call me once and this was in the early days. This might've even been before we even opened the website, but I had somebody call me and said, I, I can't remember. I can't remember how he said he came into possession of this, but he actually told me, and and he had tithing records of several famous Mormons, <laughs> and he didn't tell me who they were. And um, I said, no, I don't want them. He didn't even send them to me because I didn't want them. That's not what we're here for. So you know, I think there would be a, a stronger argument for us for uh, you know, you know, the perils of our ethics if we were acting as a tabloid of, you know, putting any kind of like salacious thing out there. But we really do take that part of it seriously. And we try not to release anything that doesn't fit into sort of a newsworthy, seeking transparency, appropriate transparency category. And I think the one that, the only thing, in my opinion, that has come even close to a line that I would entertain an argument on would be the uh, video that we released of Francis Bernard, the former BYU football player. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was, you know, that was a we tough one We took a us. lot of heat for we, that one, and mm-hmm. a lot of people called us an anti-Mormon even, tabloid. Well, and even ex-Mormons <laughs> gave us heat on that one. Yeah. Um, and we actually had some back, we went we back, went back we went and back forth and on that. We that go back and forth one. very often, but on yeah, that one, that one more we than were, probably any other. And even I think when, even when we, you know, published that, even though we were in agreement and we were pretty confident there was still, I think, a lingering like, okay, are we doing the right thing? And I do think we did the right thing with that. I mean, we could talk about it if you want, but I'm just saying that that was one where we got a little personal with somebody who's not a general authority and it could maybe be seen as, you know, maybe that was an inappropriate thing to put so out So you there. have lines in the sand you won't cross. Sure. In other words, mm-hmm. things that that you, you just won't do, even if you can vet them, even if you know they're true and they're mm-hmm. accurate. Um, have you ever... You may have answered this now with your last statement. Have you ever done something you say, looking back now, I don't know if we should have done that one? Because um, Lord knows we do in journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, there's stories I go back now and think, oh, we didn't do that very well, yeah. or maybe we shouldn't have done that one. Do you? Well, there'd be a difference it, between doing well or maybe doing it differently doing and it not at doing it all. I mean, right. Yeah. Uh, to the, to date, and we've only been operating for about a year and a half now. Um, to date, no, I don't no. think there's anything that I'd say. Oh, I wish we didn't release, but that's not to say that that's not. Going Are there to happen, some right? that you thought would have a, a bigger <laughs> a, a bigger splash? Oh, absolutely, that, that, that really the didn't. All the ter- thirty-two million dollar. I yeah. cannot believe there have been hardly any articles on that. Yeah. What happened? It, it <laughs> almost. <laughs> that is thir- you, you, you documented uh, yeah. uh, thirty-two billion, at least thirty-two uh, well, billion yeah. in stock assets that the church U.S. Stock somehow, assets. U.S. stock assets. Yeah. Tied to church owned or investment by, companies. Owned by the oh, church. Yeah. Owned by LLCs well, that are owned by the right. church and. Look, or it's somehow tied to the church. Man. Right, right. Well, he's a little bit more couched in the way yes. he talks about it. I, I'm, I'm much more comfortable <laughs> saying at this point, um, just because I've, I've talked to a couple of people um, that work in that world of high finance, and, and mm-hmm. the, yeah. the chances of the church not fully owning those LLCs is almost zero, in my opinion. Explain but, a little bit more about that, maybe, Ethan, well, because since you were oh, go ahead. talking about that. Uh, yeah. What, 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 what was in that document? What did you find? Um, yeah, so there were bi- so 
um, let's see, there were a bunch of domains registered to the to the intellectual property department of the church. Uh, intellectual Reserve Incorporated, I believe, is the is the, the name legal it. entity. Right. Um, and they were, and it was just a bunch of domain names registered on the same date, right? And when you drill down on those domain names, it, you can find what, what's the name of the document again? Well, uh, the, there's uh, those LLCs have a report with the that, SEC that publicly the traded F, things. That, I forgot it. F thirteen, F fourteen, maybe yeah. something. It's F a, it's something. A, it's a public <laughs> forum that they're so any company mm-hmm. that has holdings in the U.S. stock market that exceed a hundred million dollars. They are required to file this F whatever form mm-hmm. with the SEC, and that form gets published to on the SEC's website. So technically, that information that we published was public information, but the ability to tie it to the church was like finding a needle in a haystack. Right. And you did that vetting? Well, no, it others? was brought to us, okay. and we well, vetted it. We, I mean, we, we did some additional vetting. Yeah, that we the did source some additional vetting do. that the source for, didn't do. For instance, like anybody could go and register a domain, and I could go register a domain and put the church's intellectual property department's information in the public. Who is even though right, it would, yeah. even though it was me and not really right. them, but but the but the church's the same servers that host the what are called the authoritative name records that and what name records are is when you go when you type in salt lake sltrib.com into into your browser your computer wants to know an ip what's called an ip address it doesn't care about sltrib.com right and the and the name records are what tells your computer what ip address to go to and the same the same servers that hold the authoritative name records for lds.org and ldschurch.org and a bunch of really well-known uh, more like mormon.org the same servers that hold those authoritative name records hold the authoritative name records to the, to these same domain names that are tied to these llc's mm. so that was some vetting that he did and then you know the, the source kind of brought us this information kind of in a very raw form and then I, what i did is i went and verified every single one of them you know, from like, I went through all the SEC records, I created a spreadsheet and kind of like uh, organized the data a little bit, kind of the way you see it on the website now. We, um, I actually, so one of the things that tied it to the church, those those LLCs, aside from what Ethan was just talking about, was the fact that there is a, was it business manager was the title? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody with the title of business manager was listed on the SEC form. And I have this old 2015 church employee handbook from a source. And so I went and looked which, in there. And which, notice, we've never released it because I would cross an it. ethical line right. that we're not willing to cross. Right. There you go. Good point. So, but I went and looked in this uh, employee, hand, or employee directory, and um, every single – these were just random names. It was like Joe Smith. I mean, they were like that random. <laughs> there were a couple that were unique, but some of them were like really just generic names. But every one of them, there was one person at the church that had that name. And most of them worked in Ensign Peak Advisors, not all of them. Or some and, financial related Yeah, and they, But they were all low level, like, or m- at most, like, mid-management. No executives. So, you know, that was kind of weird, but, you know, we're like, you know, who knows why that's the case. But my guess, my own personal theory is that they... They, they chose the lowest level employee that they could legally get away with putting on those things just to <laughs> sort of keep the, you know. Anyway, we, I called all these people at the phone number that was in the employee directory, and only three of them answered. The, fir- the first two, and I actually drove, by the way, to Arizona so that I could record these phone calls because I live in Las Vegas where I can't record the phone calls. Because so, um, it's a one-way consent yeah, in Arizona. Nevada, unfortunately, is one-way, and Arizona is like Utah. It's two-way. two-way. And it, it, I live actually fairly close to the Arizona border. So, mm-hmm. but, um, the, uh, so 
uh, I, three people answered. The first two people um, both said that they were not the manager of the LLC and that they had no idea what I was talking about. The third person was the only woman on the list and she said, yes, I am the manager. And then I said, oh, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm following up with the story. And I told her who I, uh, I didn't say Mormon Leaks, but I told her I was with the Truth and Transparency Foundation, which is our parent um, organization. And I said, uh, you know, follow, I'm, you know, following up on a story that we're doing. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if the church owns these LLCs or not. And she said, I can't answer that question. And then I followed up with additionally, and I said, okay, I can appreciate that. But when you say that you can't answer, you're saying that you're not allowed to, not that you don't know, right? And she said yes. And so, you know, that was the jackpot and to connect it all. And she's some low-level employee. I mean, she's not even, as far as, I mean, she might be in low management. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. she is listed in the employee directory with the regular employees because they have the executives separated in the the directory. And um, so we called for the first time before any of our leaks, we actually called... Eric Hawkins at uh, the PR and I LDS Church LDS Church Public Relations. yeah I never okay. we've never called him before and we, we did one time send him an email we, but yeah we, we've emailed him but yeah it was that, not this was the before first phone call yeah. and he yeah. never responded to that email either but so I called and I talked to his secretary and she said she would I didn't tell her why I was calling but I said I just you know I've got a question about something that we're about to publish and she said well you know I don't know if he'll call you back but I'll pass the message on and he he never called back so so you don't you don't routinely call the LDS church and well, say no. do you have a comment on this or do you cuz cuz you're but not But honestly though if they yeah. we don't mm-hmm. but honestly if like we we would love to have a working relationship with them I'm not saying that I want them <laughs> to like us I know that's not going to happen but I if they would return our calls I would call them probably before every one maybe not 3 days before but I mean I'd call them the night before mm-hmm. but you know they don't they don't they go out of their way to try to never mention Mormon leaks, and they obviously don't want to return our phone calls. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and it's hard to play It's hard to play with them when they don't want to play. What would you ultimately like to see, both of you, uh, from yeah. the LDS Church? <laughs> this is a good question, and I appreciate it, because a lot of people think that we're out to destroy the church, right? And that's not the case at all. Um, I think... I don't think the church is going anywhere, right? I mean, they're, they're too too rich, too powerful, too influential, um, and, uh, it, and and I'll and I'll recognize they do a lot of good in the world, right? Um, but uh, what I would like to see is, yeah, more transparency in terms of their finances. If they would just, if they, if they would follow the same legal standards that a five hundred one c three has to has to follow, I think that would be great, right? Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, statistics on on like the amount of um, sex abuse or, or, or physical abuse uh, cases that they're involved with or that they maybe settled on or something like that, right? Um, and then also, yeah, just greater transparency with their uh, with their corporate policies. I think those are like like Ryan said at the beginning; those are kind of the three pillars. And and if they um, even any increased transparency there, I think would. Um, would be a huge step forward. Yeah, I mean, some some sort of like some short-sighted, you know, internet warriors think that because we have published emails that we somehow think that the church has to like publish all of their emails back and forth among each other. You know. Uh, and it's not just one person that seems to think that's what we want. That's obviously not what we want. If we're publishing emails, it's because whatever the information that's in there, that's the only way we've been able to get it out there. There's some some 
you know, aspect that we find to be newsworthy. But like Ethan said, I think he kind of summed it up really good. So I don't really have much more to add other than to say I would like to expound a little bit on the, the uh, sex abuse statistics. I mean, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't think, uh, we're not looking for the church to, you know, have a sex offender registry within the church or anything where you can look up, you know, who are the sex offenders in my ward. We're not looking for that. But what I think that they could do is take regionally, and then, of course, it could filter up into worldwide, they could publish how many accusations were made in a, a given year, how many of those accusations led to um, criminal charges, how many of those accusations led to civil lawsuits, and how many led to monetary settlements, and what was the total dollar amount in that region that was settled. And what you can do with all of that information is an, a, a member of the church who is donating their money to the church and whose money is ultimately going to pay for those settlements. But not only, it's not even about the money either, it's about the safety of their children as well. Somebody can look at a trend over, let's they could take like five years worth of, of these statistics and say, does it look like the church is improving the environment when it comes to sexual abuse? Um, is, is, is the number going down? Is it staying the same? Is it going up? Now you might find out, you might look at the statistics in your region, you might find out that there's a lot less sex abuse than you thought. Well, that's a great thing. You can maybe have a little more peace of mind. On the other hand, it might be worse. It might be exactly what you expected. But the bottom line is the knowledge gives you the power. And if you do see an upward trend, okay, or you don't see a decrease where you should see it, you feel like there should be one, you now have the power to go to your leaders and say, what is it that we're doing and why is it not working? Ryan McKnight, Ethan Dodge, Mormon Leaks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, glad to have you here. And frankly, thanks for providing information for news stories. Uh, <laughs> Peggy, uh, thanks for your coverage. We appreciate you guys too. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. And a shout out again to our producer, Sarah Weber. We remind our listeners that in addition to our Mormon Land podcast, you can receive our Mormon Land newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up. It's free and it lands in your email once every week. I will talk again on next week on Mormon Land. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>